Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Soil is such a mystery. On the one hand, it looks pretty similar wherever you go. There are differences, though. Sometimes soil is dark brown. Sometimes it's lighter brown. Sometimes it can look a bit orange or a bit red. But what we really want to know is how fertile our soil is and how well it can support our plants and trees. Is it rich in nutrients that can support plant life? Are those nutrients accessible to the plants that we are growing? Now, you can get a clue by looking at the health of your fruit trees and other plants. Are they growing vigorously? Do their leaves look healthy? Are they producing healthy-looking fruit? Those are all very good signs. But if there is something wrong, maybe your fruit trees seem overly vulnerable to disease problems. Maybe the harvest quality isn't too good. It might not actually be your fault. Your soil may not be well-suited to the plants that you're growing. It may not have enough of the nutrients that your plants need. And so in today's show, we're going to talk about soil testing for fruit trees and other crops. We'll learn how labs test soil and what they're actually looking for. We will also discuss home soil testing kits. Do they work? Are they worth the money? And so my guest on the show today is Jack Legg, an agronomist from SGS Canada, which has been providing services to the agricultural industry for over 70 years. Jack is passionate about soil testing, and he's great at communicating even the trickiest scientific concepts about soil. So I'm really happy to have him on the show. But before we dig in, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to the show live, you can email in your questions or comments, or you can even just write us to say hi. And if you do, we will enter you into today's contest. This month's prize is an SGS headlamp for working in dark conditions. The retail value of the headlamp is $25. To enter the contest, just send us an email with your question or your comment and send the email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. We really look forward to hearing from you. So now let's talk about soil testing. Jack, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Susan. Glad to be here. And um, I'll, I'll add to that intro. I'm not just a so-called soil expert, but I also have fruit trees in my own backyard. So like you, I'm, I'm very passionate about growing fruit. 
wonderful. What kind of trees do you have in your backyard? We have cherry trees, pear, apricot, plum, and apple. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, then let's start there. If, why do we need soil testing when essentially, could we just look at our plants and trees? Don't they tell us with the state of their health, you know, what nutrients they need? Like maybe there's one problem with the leaves that indicates a lack of nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium. Do we really need soil testing? Of of course, uh, visual symptomology is often uh, very revealing in what might be deficient in a plant or a tree specifically. However, if you're if you're witnessing visual symptoms, uh, you're at the point where there's probably been a, a hunger in that plant for some time, uh, likely yield reduction. Um, and just like us, when, when we are, uh, as humans, when we're missing nutrition, it makes us more susceptible to getting sick. So same with the trees. Now, soil testing is a good way of uh, taking a snapshot of what your fertility is. Uh, Soil testing is a good indicator of your relative nutrient levels. However, what it doesn't do is predict how well your plant or tree will utilize those nutrients. So if we have time later, maybe we'll touch on tissue testing because tissue analysis is a good indication of how well those nutrients are being utilized. Whereas a soil test is an indication of how much that soil has the capability of providing to the plant. Perfect. And yes, I do want to talk about tissue testing. We will talk about that in the second part of the show. So essentially, you're saying that our soil test is going to reveal the secrets of the soil in terms of what nutrients are actually in there. But my question is, how? How do you, you know, take some soil to a lab? And how how can it tell us this? Like, what is the secret? Yes, and that's the trick with soil testing, because Most testing across the world for most things is quite universal. The same method is used for the same test wherever you happen to be. However, with soil, as we know, it's quite variable from region to region. Uh, Susan and I are in Ontario. We have fairly young soils after glaciation, not very deep, only about six inches. And they tend to be high in calcium, high in magnesium, and high pH. They're calcareous soils having been derived from limestone parent rock material. So because of the variability of soil from one region to the next and climatic conditions as well, we have winters, many locales don't, there are different methods that are accredited locally to best represent the amount of nutrient that the plant can find available in that soil. So because pH is about the biggest influence on how soluble or how plant available nutrients are, we have methods that are approved to best determine how how much of that nutrient can be pulled out of the soil for the plant. Okay, so let's start with pH. pH seems to be the entry point for soil testing because your soil can have lots of nutrients in it, but if the pH is wrong, your plants will be able to get those nutrients. I, I like to say when I teach classes on soil that it's like being at an all-you-can-eat buffet with lots of food and your hands tied, tied behind your back. You can't really get all those nutrients. And that's isn't that essentially what happens? If your pH is wrong, it doesn't really matter what nutrients are in the soil. You maybe can't get them or the plant can't get them. Is that true? Yeah, so, so that's what happens, Susan, is that at low pH, so say less than 6.0, 
some of the other elements in the soil, like iron and aluminum, were very happily combined with uh, a plant nutrient like phosphorus. And they'll make these stable compounds that don't readily dissolve, and the plant can't take it up. The same thing at the high end of the pH scale when you get alkaline. So say when you get, get above 7.5, which isn't uncommon in Ontario and many of the uh, Great Lakes basin soils, that when you're at high pH, that, that same element, phosphorus, a plant food, will very happily combine with calcium. And because it, it is less soluble, it's less efficient in being taken up by the plant. Now, that's not to say that below six or above seven and a half, that all of a sudden uh, no nutrients are available. They still are, but it's a reduced efficiency. So maintaining soil pH is important. It's much easier to raise pH with a, an addition of limestone than it is to lower pH with sulfur. It can be done, but it's very slow and inefficient. Hmm. Okay, so pH is the entry point. We, and that's one of the first things that we find out from our soil test. So once we get that in place, we find out the pH, and then we're testing for the major nutrients, uh, the macronutrients that our plants need. How is it that a lab, like your lab, like a University of Guelph lab, and there's labs across North America, what do they do with the soil that we send in in our sample box or in our sample bag? We, we get some soil from our garden. Uh, we, we take samples. We mix them together. We, we give a composite sample to you of our soil. How, what, do you, what do you guys do with it then? Right. Well, the first thing we do is we dry the sample down. Now, we are limited to drying temperature to 35 Celsius because if you dry much hotter than that, then the clay particles will start to lock up the positively charged uh, cations in the soil, the potassium, calcium, magnesium. So we dry it uh, at a temperature of 35. It's a, we call it an oven, but it's essentially a, a hot room with no humidity. We dry the sample down, we grind it, which helps to homogenize the sample. Uh, and then from that, we take a small portion and we add an extractant. So in the case of phosphorus, we're adding uh, we're adding, sorry, sodium bicarbonate, which is the extractant that has been shown in Ontario to dissolve uh, a similar amount of phosphorus that the plants could find in the soil. So what we're trying to do is duplicate the availability of that nutrient in the test. For potassium, it happens to be ammonium acetate. So we use these chemical extractions because they've been shown to uh, be the best representation of plant available nutrient. Really what we're testing, though, is the ability of the soil to provide that nutrient to the soil solution. So it's not really an absolute measurement. It's, it's more of an indication of uh, a low test would suggest a poor ability to supply that nutrient. Therefore, the crop would be enhanced by adding more of that nutrient. It's interesting, Jack. You once said to me that we're not measuring the amount of nutrients in the soil. We're not. We're measuring the amount of plant-available nutrients in the soil. How much of the nutrients are available to your plants? Is that correct? That's right. And it could be a very small percentage. So uh, in a mineral soil, which is essentially sand, silt, and clay particles, much of that plant nutrient, uh, potassium, for example, is tied up in the, the very small particles of rock. It might take hundreds to thousands of years of weathering for that to release to be able to be dissolved and taken up by the plant. So some naysayers might say, well, we're not measuring the total amount, so why bother? Well, really it is only that portion that the plant can 
can uh, take up that's important. An example I've used is if you were to put $100 in the bank today, you could take $100 out tomorrow. But in soil, if you have 100 pounds, let's say, of nutrient in the soil, you might be only to take, able to take out one pound per day. So it's only that amount that we can that we can find available, as we say, that we're interested in measuring. And then also keep in mind that the soil test is just the first step. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the second step is uh, coming up with the recommendation. And that is compared to field trials so that we know that a test at a certain level for a certain nutrient has what likelihood of response by adding more as compared to field trials, which are also done locally. So we'll talk about that in a minute. We've got a couple of emails here. Uh, first Great. one is from Jennifer from Manhattan, New York City. Hello, Susan and Jack. Very interesting topic today. No questions as of right now, but I just wanted to say hello from Manhattan. Love your shows and podcasts. Thank you very much, Jennifer. And we've got a question here. Okay, uh, so this question is from Burlington from Irene. Hello, when you talk about soil testing and nutrients in soil, what's the most important thing to consider out of everything that may grow, go wrong um, or may be good when considering how to grow things? Oh, I'm in Burlington, Ontario. Thank you. So the most important thing to consider that may go wrong or the most important, wonderful thing that you could find out from your soil test? Well, that's an easy question with a more difficult answer. Um, so really, although we talk about macronutrients and micronutrients, or sometimes we say primary and secondary, not one is more important than the other. They're just used in different quantities. Uh, it just happens that plants use nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium in greater quantities than some of the other nutrients like zinc and manganese. I should also point out, though, that although we're talking about chemical testing today, the, the, the nutrient fertility of the soil, that's only one part of the bigger picture the physical structure is important. Um, so that includes the particle size, the texture, the organic matter, um, how well that soil holds together or resists compaction allows water infiltration and air infiltration. And there's also the whole biological component. All those good bacteria, fungi, uh, microorganisms that all play a role. So easy question, what's the one thing that could go wrong? But really you you need the confluence of all these good things, physical, biological, chemical, uh, with a little luck and a little bit of help from Mother Nature, um, and sometimes a bit of magic, and it all comes together to work. That makes total sense. It's essentially this amazing jigsaw puzzle, and you want to get all the pieces in place. Um, so... With regards to that question, you can have everything looking good, lots of nutrients, lots of structure, but whoops, the pH is really wrong. That sets the whole thing off. So it's getting the perfect balance. And the great thing is that we are empowered to do that with recommendations from the lab or, you know, wherever we send our soil sample to, um, soil can be improved. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. And um, it, it's an it's also important to realize that a fertile soil is not necessarily productive because if you have all the nutrients you need, but the soil is heavy clay and compacted very tightly and the roots can't penetrate and the water runs off, then that's a good example of showing how the physical plays a role in it as well. Um, 
on the opposite end of it, you could have uh, soil that's very deep and rich and full of organic matter, easy for the roots to penetrate. Well, you might not need high fertility because the roots can find all the nutrients they need. Um, and on the other end, we can have we can have soils that are too good. Uh, you know, some nice black, uh, rich compost. If we add too much of that, it can overwhelm the system. Uh, it can be so rich that it's salty. Uh, an example I use sometimes is that it'd be like taking a whole bottle of vitamins every morning instead of just one. You know, too much of a good thing is too much. So we need the proper balance of everything for it to work. That's a great answer. And that was a great question. We have a question here from Julie, a regular listener from Ontario. Julie writes, hi, Susan, always love listening to your show. Wondering if you can go over how the nutrient contents within the leaves change naturally in a healthy tree from spring through fall. And do you have any good resources on how these changes differ among the different fruit trees? So we'll talk a little more about this after, but do you, you know, in the second part of the show, but do you have any comments on how the nutrients change within the plant? Yeah, also a great question. Um, to know where you would want the optimal concentrations of all the nutrients to be on all the species, you would have to test every plant every week through the growing season and then compare that to something to know whether it's good or bad. Um, so some of that work has been done. People have looked at that. Uh, but the difficulty also is having a timing standpoint for comparability purposes. So we might say uh, 10 weeks after dormancy as a time point, right? But every year that might be a little different. And if you were to take those tissue samples after a week of hot sunshine, droughty conditions, it would probably be different after a week of cool and moist and, and good growing conditions. So yes, it would be great to know the uptake of every nutrient for every week of the growing season very difficult to manage. And even if we had those perfect ratios, uh, I'm not sure how you would be able to manage that in such a way that you'd be spoon feeding the, the nutrients to the, to the plants as well. Yeah, I see. I see what Julie is saying. And, and, and what you're saying is this idea, it's like, well, if we know that, you know, my plant needs a lot of nitrogen in the spring, but then in the fall or in the summer, it needs more potassium, you know, um, it would make fertilizing a little bit easier. That's true. And and we do know that uh, certain things, as you mentioned, like more nitrogen in the spring, when the plant's coming out of dormancy, and it's got that rapid vegetative growth, it's looking for things like nitrogen. Um, when you're flowering, any stress on the plant, so flowering, fruiting, um, filling out the fruit, all these all these different uh, parts of the physiological age of the plant through the growing season will have different needs nutritionally. Um, but what we say from a soil fertility standpoint is we'd like to have everything non-limiting, meaning there's more than enough there so you're not going to run short. And I guess that's the thing, making sure the buffet table is full, so making sure the soil has everything and the plant will know what to take in when it needs it. True? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Interesting. Okay, we've got another email here. This one is from Daryl. Uh, from Daryl in British Columbia. If a gardener adds a soil amendment like sea soil, how long would it take the nutrients to reach the roots of an apple tree? 
Also, what are some companies that test soil for gardeners in British Columbia? So I don't know what this sea soil uh, amendment is. Maybe you do, Jack, but I think it's a fantastic question. When you add an amendment, how long does it take to get to the roots? Yeah, so um, it's going to depend on the amendment, on the addition that you're putting on. Now, obviously, the difference with a permanent crop like fruit trees and a, and a vegetable crop is that you're very limited in the way you can work that nutrient into the soil. We're not rototilling around fruit trees, for example. So most of it is surface applied. Aerating the soil would help. It would help get things down below the surface. Um, it also depends on how soluble that nutrient is. So if it can dissolve in water, it'll quite readily go down into the soil and be held, held tightly there by the, by the soil particles and accessible by the roots. Uh, if it's something that's slow to dissolve. So an example I sometimes get approached with is rock phosphate, you know, an organic source of phosphorus. Um, it has phosphorus content in it, but it's very slow to dissolve and release that. So some things might be as quick as a day after a good rainfall. If they're very soluble, some things might be weeks and weeks. And I've just looked up this interesting supplement. It's called Original Sea Soil. Um, it's a fully composted mix of fish byproducts and uh, forest fines. Uh, so it is, let's see what the NPK is. It's like two, zero, zero. So very low. Um, so uh, he's trying to figure out how long that would take. Right, so that's adding 2% nitrogen. Um, nitrogen can be very tricky as well because although we're adding nitrogen, it has to convert over to plant available forms, namely uh, ammonium nitrate, ammonium nitrogen and nitrate nitrogen. And these two, uh, they call it mineralization. So what's really happening is the soil microbes um, are helping to convert that organic N over to mineral N. And that's the part that's soluble and the plant can take up. However, if, if it's soluble, that also means it dissolves in water and water can leach it away. So, Nitrogen management is very difficult because applied to the surface in the right conditions, it can gas off or volatilize into the atmosphere. If converted to nitrate and soluble, it can leach away or it can simply run off the surface. So we do have to pay close attention to how we're applying nitrogen to any crop for that matter. However, the product you looked up there, Susan, at 2% nitrogen uh, and very organic -y in nature, uh, meaning uh, carbon, high organic matter, uh, it would very likely release well and dissolve into the soil. So let's talk a little more about nitrogen because that is the one really key nutrient that fruit trees and other plants need that it doesn't seem you guys are able to test in soil tests. Tell me about that. Well, we can test for it. Uh, however, as I, as I mentioned or alluded to there a minute ago, Testing the total nitrogen doesn't tell you uh, how much will be plant available. So if we test nitrate nitrogen, and that's, uh, you know, the chemical formula is NO3. That's the soluble form that the plant takes up into the roots. If we test that today, but you get a two-inch rainfall, well, we can't predict how much is going to be left after the rain. Um, the best way to manage nitrogen is not based on the soil test, but rather apply the amount that that particular plant needs through the growing season. So something like, for example, a radish, very small, grows very quickly, doesn't require much nitrogen. 
something big and, and um, lots of vegetative growth, like a pumpkin plant, you know, it's going to need a little more nitrogen. So knowing the amount that your plant will need through the year, and if there's a best way of applying it, it would be a little bit every week through the year, but that's sometimes not practical. So we have to find the nice um, balance of making it practical and efficient. Nitrogen in comparison to other nutrients, though, doesn't it just sort of sometimes just evaporate away? It, it can You can have nitrogen in your soil in the morning and it's gone by the afternoon, whereas other nutrients are a little bit more stable? Right. So the um, many of the nutrients, so for example, what we call the cations, those, those are the positively charged particles, potassium, magnesium, calcium, they're positively charged. And most soil, especially the clay portion is negatively charged. So you have this like a magnetic attraction where they just want to hold on. So that's what we call the cation exchange capacity. Meaning the more clay in the soil and the more organic matter, the greater the ability for that soil to hold those positively charged nutrients. Whereas in the case of nitrate, it's negatively charged. So a negative and a negative don't attract. And given the fact that it's soluble, that's why we can lose nitrate nitrogen through leaching. There's many complex forms that can happen with nitrogen, um, volatilization, denitrification. Uh, immobilization is what uh, many of your listeners would have heard that if you apply a woody product to the soil, it ties up nitrogen. That's because it's high carbon, the, the soil bugs are trying to decompose that and they need nitrogen to do so. So they rob it out of the soil. So the technical term is immobilization, but it's essentially taking nitrogen out of the system, which will eventually release but it's not of any benefit to the plant. Okay, a few more. We've got lots of questions today, so let's great. move through them. Yeah, really great questions. So here's a question from, you can't find my mouse here. Here it is. Question from Eric. Uh, where's Eric from? Can't tell. Okay, thanks for the podcast. Lots of good info. For apple trees, old timers would check the sugar levels in the leaves and then decide on how much sugar or molasses water to spray. Can you please explain more about this? Also, can you enter me into the contest? That's from Eric. <laughs> sure thing, you're entered, Eric. Yes, yeah, so there's also something called bricks testing, which is the sugars. Um, now, the assumption that you can test sugar in the leaf and then apply a sugary product like molasses, um, it doesn't quite work like that. So. Keep in mind, sugars are like a, a carbohydrate. They're made of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, those are the three primary uh, nutrients. We don't think of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen as nutrients because all those nutritional needs are met you know, through the soil and the air and the water. Um, plants really are little chemical factories. They're taking that sunshine and the carbon and the hydrogen and making all these, um, all these things. Sugar is one of them. Measuring them might be a benefit. Uh, we don't we don't test for that in our lab. We're looking more at the individual plant nutrients as opposed to the um, the ratio of compounds within the plant because that would get very difficult to manage. And maybe if you remind me later when we talk about plant tissue, we'll talk a bit about ratios too. Okay, sounds good. And by the way, Eric is in New Jersey, so thank you, Eric. And let's see, we've got one more, and then let's see who this is from. From Josh. Uh, okay, so Josh writes, 
what can we actually do every year to protect our soil? We would not want another dust bowl like down in the States in the 30s. I live in Peterborough, Ontario. Thank you for your answer, Josh. Great question, Josh. So the soil, many of us think of the soil as just something we plant into. Um, and in the case of trees, we think of planting a tree and let it fend for itself, right? Um, but really the soil is an ecosystem and we really need to have it uh, protected and, and covered year round if possible. I've heard it said that um, some of the traditional practices of harvesting a crop and then plowing the soil and leaving it bare, that'd be like us humans standing outside all winter, bare and, and cold and hungry. Um, keeping in mind that the soil is full of biological life, then the more we have something growing all the time, the more that biology is sustained. Um, there's always pros and cons though. So things like adding an organic amendment like a compost and working it into the soil, that's a good thing. But the very act of opening the soil to work it in is exposing it to oxygen and accelerates the decomposition process. So I think the short answer there for Eric would be uh, keeping coverage at all times. So whether it's grass under trees um, or a mulch, it keeps the, the environment more hospitable for soil microbiology. But yes, always remember the soil is, is an ecosystem. It's not just dirt. Yep, absolutely. And actually, I, I spoke to a grower who grew the best greens, and she said over the winter, um, she just took all her leaves and weeds that she'd collect over the growing season, and she would pile it on top of the soil and just leave it there for the winter. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back right after the break. Gardeners, it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches, which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell water savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com.
If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. If you're listening to this radio show, I'm guessing that you want to be knowledgeable and confident in fruit tree care, and I'm here to say that I would love to help you with that. You can check out my premium online workshops at OrchardPeople.com, and I'll teach you how to prune your trees, how to feed them, and how to protect them from pests and diseases. Because you're listening to this podcast, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash workshops and use the promo code podcast to get 10% off any of our courses or bundles. That's orchardpeople.com slash workshops and use the promo code podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com.
And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we've been talking about soil testing for fruit trees and other crops. And we've learned a little bit about how labs test our soil and how they measure soil nutrients. But if you really want to know what nutrients are actually getting into your plant, there is another option. You can do a plant tissue test. Essentially, you'll gather some leaves from your fruit trees and you'll send those to the lab. And then you'll discover which of those nutrients in your soil are actually getting into your plant and which are not. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the show, the second part of the show. My guest today is Jack Legg, an agronomist from SGS Canada, which does both soil testing and plant tissue testing for home growers and for agricultural industries as well. But before we get the scoop on plant tissue testing, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to the live show, please do email us with your questions or your comments or email just to say hi, and we will enter you into today's contest. The the prize today is an SGS headlamp for working in dark conditions. The retail value of the headlamp is $25. So to enter the contest, all you have to do is send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. Be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. So Jack, Tell us a little bit about plant tissue testing. Like, when would we do that? Do we only do that if we see our plants' leaves are not doing too well? When is it appropriate? Well, in fact, the fruit specialists would say that a tissue t- sample uh, is the way to come up with recommendations for nutrient use on, on permanent crops, the, uh, the, the fruit trees, uh, vines, and berries, for example. I, as a soil guy, I like to see a soil test, and it's always the best way to start to know what the underlying fertility is. But as you mentioned, the tissue analysis gives you a snapshot of what the utilization of the soil nutrients are, how well the plant is taking them up. So a tissue test uh, provides tests on each of the individual nutrients, and it also tries to compare it to what is expected to be a normal range so that you can see if it's relatively high or low. But another good uh, strategy to take is if you see obvious differences across your plants, say one that looks dark green and robust and one that's a little more pale or struggling, then taking the sample from each and comparing the two is often quite revealing. Oh, so you would essentially in that case have to do two tests. You'd send them in two different envelopes or two different packages. You package the healthy tree uh, in, in for one tissue test and the unhealthy tree would be in a second test. If that's the case that you're faced with. Now, if you have trees that all look equally well, then one sample would, would suffice to get an idea what the, the nutrition of those trees are. However, if you do see problems, um, it's sometimes very revealing to have that comparison because you would have essentially the same plants in the same uh, environment, same soil, same weather conditions. So seeing if one was 
high or low compared to the other might might give you some insight into why those differences are occurring. So we have an email here. Now, this is from uh, Lisa. Uh, Hi, fantastic show today. I'm learning quite a bit today. Listening to you from Philly, Pennsylvania. Happy planting. Thank you for that. Let's see here. So, um, okay. Thank you very much, Lisa, for your email. So back to tissue testing. Um, Will, for instance, let's say you see that the leaves, um, you've got chlorosis. So the leaves on your uh, plant or tree, they're turning yellow, you don't know why. You look at the soil test, Will the, what will give you better information as to why the chlorosis is happening? Because it could be a symptom of various different problems, could it not? Yeah, of course, and especially with chlorosis, because so many things can cause yellowing of the leaves. Um, the tissue test should be able to narrow it down, and maybe it's, maybe it's multiple nutrients that are deficient. Um, we also have to remember, I don't want to uh, not mention this, that we can't just take any leaf off that tree. It should be specific leaves. Uh, some nutrients are more mobile within the plant than others. So nitrogen, for example, can move from the older leaves into the newer leaves, whereas other nutrients are very static. Once they're there, they don't move around. So because of that, we want to take the leaves that are the best uh, representation of the, of the plant nutrient con- concentrations. And that's usually by sampling the most uh, recently fully developed leaf or the newest full-size leaf. It's usually back from the tip of the growth, um, a few leaflets or about a foot back from, from the very tip of the growing branch. Okay, so we're not taking the fresh little leaves at the tip, the little tiny ones. We wait till they're full size. Now, is leaf tissue testing only for trees? Or if you are worried about a tomato plant, is it would it ever be worth doing? Yes. No, if, if you're willing to manage nutrients in season, then tissue, tissue collection and testing uh, is a good way of doing it. Um, that rule of thumb applies to most plants, the most recent fully developed leaf. Uh, but some plants differ, right? So a, a cabbage, for example, it's it's the fullest uh, wrapper leaf, they call it. Um, we do have a guide we could provide that, that helps people understand which leaf is the best one to, to collect. And we also need, we need a lot of leaves, not just because um, representation, one leaf doesn't speak for your whole crop, uh, but also we need enough to dry down and to grind and perform the various tests on. So we've had it where people will send a single strawberry leaf. We really can't do anything with that. We need about 200 grams, uh, which is a good, uh, a good handful. Um, I often tell people a third full paper lunch bag is about how much material we need. Once we dry that down, it's very little dry material. So we've been talking a lot about these high tech tests that labs provide. Um, if you go online, there are a million different soil testing kits available. Um, are they any good? I actually got an interesting um, message on Facebook. I'm going to read it to you. So this is David from Michigan, and he writes, I tested the soil around my property for the first time several years ago and then tested it again a year or two after the first. The results were the same the second time. My soil is nitrogen deficient, like zero, but plentiful in potassium and phosphorus, and the pH is fairly neutral. 
Therefore, I realized it just doesn't change all that much. I supplement with lots of low-release nitrogen where it's needed, and it's helped a lot, particularly with my lawn. And he writes, perhaps it would make sense to test my soil again at a frequency about every five years. But when I asked David, I said, well, which lab did this test for you? Because I was quite surprised that he got such specific results for nitrogen. And he was using a test that he got online. It's called the Luster Leaf Rapid Test. It's a soil testing kit that's $15 and it tests your pH and it tests like through the um, uh, NPK. So what are your thoughts on these kits online? Well, there are many kits that can be a, a very quick and inexpensive snapshot. Uh, pH is fairly accurate to test uh, with a kit. Some of the other ones that are doing uh, nitrogen or an estimation of nitrogen based on organic matter, or, or they say they can do a phosphorus and a potassium, they're not bad. Um, but kits are about $20, a lab test in the laboratory with, with quality control in place and approved methods is about $20, depending on what you get tested for. Obviously the more tests, the more expensive. So I, I think that a lab test might give you uh, more repeatability and more accuracy. Now that said, David was right, that soil fertility doesn't change that drastically from year to year. Um, I mentioned in the before the break that the more clay in the soil, the more nutrient it can hold. So a clay type soil um, will change less dramatically from year to year. A sandier soil that doesn't hold nutrient as well will change more. So our general rule of thumb for soil, soil sampling and testing is about every three years. If it's a sandy soil, you might want to do it every two years. Um, the question is mentioned five years, that's probably adequate. What we don't want to see is people going 10 years or more um, between, between testing because that's when you can start to lose sight and lose track of some of your fertility levels. Interesting. Okay, we have an email here from Paula. Hi, thanks for the info today. Please enter me into your contest today. I'm in Washington, D.C. And does Jack have an informational website? Thank you. Good question. So Jack does not have a website. Um, SGS, the company I work for, is a global company. Uh, they do have a website, sgs.com or sgs.ca. Um, the challenge, though, is that we are so big offering so much testing to so many industries around the world, it's difficult to find things that are specific to what we're doing in, in our laboratory in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, that said, you can go online, you can find some things. We also have some rebranding underway. We're going to be called the Crop Science Division of, you can see in my background, the Health and Nutrition Business Line of SGS. So coming soon, we will have some new websites, new branding, uh, and we do intend on having more informational and um, interpretive uh, type articles so that people can better understand their soil and tissue tests. I want to ask you now, we're going to have our contest in just a minute. We've had lots of people emailing in, and I look forward to seeing who the winner is. But I want to ask you about choosing a lab, because there are labs everywhere. We've got a lot of listeners from the States. We've got listeners from Canada. Do you just pick a lab that you like the sound of, you know, or how is, what's the best way to choose a lab for your situation? 
In the case of soil testing, as I mentioned right at the start, because of the regionality of soils, um, here in Ontario, high pH, high calcium soils, we call them calcareous. Our neighbour, Quebec, has very low pH soils and they use completely different methods. So from Ontario West, the Western Canadian provinces, much of the Great Lakes Basin, they use similar methodology. Uh, the US Midwest, Northeast, there might be different tests that have um, that are referenced to local uh, test plots and research plots. So uh, we've had some listeners I've heard from Manhattan and, and Philadelphia. If they send me a sample, they're going to get Ontario results and Ontario recommendations and probably not as specific as if they went to say Rutgers University in New Jersey. Um, so when picking a lab, make sure that they're local so that they're testing your soils appropriately. Um, accreditation to know that they're running methods that are repeatable and have quality behind them. And also that they have uh, recommendations because knowing what the test value is, isn't that informative. You need to know what to do next. Something like tissue testing is much more universal. That, that could go to many different labs. Fantastic. Okay, Jack, are you ready? We're going to uh, pick the winner today. All right. You're ready for this. Okay. So in the studio, we have Gary who has kept track of who sent us emails. Gary, are you there? I am here live on the scene. <laughs> live on the scene reporting. Uh, live reporting. So what I'm going to do is I have all the names in a little bucket here. I'm going to shake up the bucket and we're going to ask Jack to tell us when to stop and then I will pull out a name. So are we ready? I'm ready. Are you ready, Jack? Are you ready, Jack? Okay. Okay, so hey, here we go. Shake, shake, shake. And we will stop. We will stop right there. And let me pull out the paper. And the winter is... Daryl L. from B.C. Yay, Daryl. Fantastic. Congratulations. You get a headlight. That is fun. And and Jack, we were discussing, for people who grow fruit trees, when might you use this headlight? It's for nighttime use, obviously. So what were you thinking? Well, for the really avid person uh, who perhaps is doing winter pruning after the sun goes down early in the northern hemisphere, that might be a good thing to do. Um, one of problems I have here with my fruit trees, and every year is different, and, and this year... I've had cherries that started blossoming quite early, and then we've had a cold snap, and now I'm worried that we maybe froze a few of those buds off. But the last time I had a really good cherry crop, we went out and had some, and we thought, just one more day. We're going to wait one more day. The next day we went out, and they were gone. It's usually birds, but in this case, it was raccoons. So maybe you need this headlight to scare away the raccoons. I think so. I think it's a great idea. So you will, uh, you and the winner will be in touch by email. And I know that you guys are getting them in in the next few weeks or something. They've actually been received, Susan. I have uh, the headlamps on site. Great. So once we have the address, we will send it out and uh, maybe he'll even tell us how we use them. Yes, I wonder if he'll be chasing off uh, raccoons. I actually saw a video from my neighborhood and um, on our local Facebook group, and they it was a video of a raccoon climbing to the window of the second floor of a house. Wow. 
it's like, what are they even looking for up there? And, you know, bedrooms upstairs or whatever. Maybe somebody was eating a pizza in their bedroom. They thought, oh, pizza party. Maybe I should join. Or cherries. (laughs) Or cherries. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for coming on the show today. And um, I think that the listeners will understand why I invited you, because it's really difficult to talk about soil in a manner that people can understand. And I find that you're really great at making things very clear and easy to understand. So thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you. And I hope we achieved that and happy growing. Happy growing, everybody. So goodbye for now to you, Jack, and thank you from all the listeners. And we'll wrap up the show now. But before we do, I want to ask a favor from the listeners. If you guys listen to this show um, as a podcast, you probably download it from somewhere uh, like iTunes. I would love it if you could rate and review this show. The more ratings we have, the more the show will pop up in people's searches and the more sustainable it will be in the long term. So please, please do rate and review the show. And I would really appreciate that. That would be wonderful. Also, if you want to learn anything else about fruit tree care, do visit my website, orchardpeople.com, where I have articles, I have lots of podcasts, and I also have online courses where you can learn a lot more about fruit tree care from me. So thank you so much for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for listening this month. We've got another great show coming up for you next month. And you take care and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. been listening to the urban forestry radio show on reality radio 101 to learn more about the show and to download the podcast where i cover lots more great topics you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast this show is broadcast live on the last tuesday of every month and each time i have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees food forests and arboriculture If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.